Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, welcome to the first ever Green Street Hammers podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening if you are. Uh, my name is Adam Smith. I'll be one of your hosts, and with me is Scott Johnson. Scott, how you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, Adam. How you doing? I'm I'm doing well. I'm excited to to finally have someone to talk to West Ham about. Uh, it's a little bit sparse in my area for for West Ham fans to get together. So I'm happy to uh, to be on board with Green Street Hammers here at Fansided and to uh, to get into the West Ham world a little bit more. So yeah, I'm I'm really happy to get actually get this podcast going. I mean, we're uh... We've been writing here for a while. I mean, the West Ham, the Queen Street Hammers site's been going for a few years, and I've been trying to get this off the ground. So, really good to actually uh, be talking to someone about it rather than sort of uh, buggering my wife about uh, when it's going to start. Yeah, I've annoyed my family members with that as well. Um, so, what we're going to be doing here today basically is just a, an introduction to us here. We are the the site experts at, at Green Street Hammers. Um, so we're going to sort of give an introduction to ourselves, our, our supportership of West Ham, our fan, uh, our fandom of the of the team, where it started, how it came to Green Street Hammers, and basically give the uh, the rundown on how we became West Ham fans. And then we're going to jump into a, a review of the month that was. Um, you know what? Maybe it's maybe it's better for us that West Ham have had such a slow start because if we were just patting each other and everyone else on the team on the back, it probably wouldn't be that entertaining of a podcast, right? So we can at least uh, have some talking points. But uh, Scott, I'll defer to you here. Um, go ahead and, and and let us know how you became a West Ham fan and uh, and how you got to to the site Green Street Hammers. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, despite the fact that I live in Melbourne, Australia now, um, I'm from Essex. I grew up in a small village outside Bitteriki, uh, for those of you who are locals. And um, I can't remember thinking about football in any terms apart from West Ham when I was younger. Uh, my granddad was all about West Ham. And uh, actually, if you read the article I put up on the Green Street Hammers, uh, you'll know that he actually played for them uh, for a time as a, as a junior before he went off to national service, which they did at the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my family is all, all West Ham. Uh, my, so that was my mum's dad. Uh, my dad is a West Ham fan, but that was more in spite because his dad supported Millwall um, and he was uh, looking for some way to get back at him. Uh, so both my parents are West Ham fans. And, I mean, my uh, earliest memories of football are watching a centenary video i think it was on vhs around my grandparents house and watching all these now famous names you know your your moors your bonds your trevor brookings just uh, scoring lovely goals i mean they did pick some really nice highlights considering west ham have been up and down throughout the years and uh i, I say i loved it um and uh yeah I, my first my first match was against southampton uh, which unfortunately we lost but again, I loved Upton Park. It was, it was something that I loved going to. I couldn't 
Um, and my dad wasn't a great fan of it all the time because he used to be a police police officer and he used to have to, uh, at times he was uh, part of the police force that had to keep fans in control. So he had uh, some mixed memories of uh, Upton Park. And um, yeah, I loved the whole atmosphere. I loved that it was a little bit grubby. Um, I mean, I loved that some points you felt uh, like the stairs weren't always going to uh, you know, make it through all the people walking up and down. But it was great fun. The people there were wonderful in their own way. And um, yeah, I, I, I can't remember not loving West Ham. I mean, there was one one time where I, I can't remember who we lost to. We lost, we got hammered. Yeah. We got absolutely smashed once and I was just crying on the sofa that my dad had made me support West Ham uh, because I just didn't understand how we had what I thought was a good team and we would just lose. And I think that's part of being a West Ham fan. I think if you haven't had that, that moment where you go... I really thought this was going well, and uh, and then it crashes down around you. I don't think think you're a West Ham fan, so um, yeah, that was sort of all my life there. And then um, yeah, I mean, I moved to Melbourne a couple of years ago, so it was just after we moved into the London Stadium. I have been, and I think I understand what fans are saying about the atmosphere there. It's not going to be the same kind of togetherness just because of the stadium it is but I, I enjoyed the matches that I saw there I think if the fans get behind it we can really make it our home but now that I'm here and in uh, Australia I, I, all these people complaining about the stadium and the ability to go I mean it's it's crazy to think that you can complain about seeing it because I have to get up at 3am or whatever stupid time that is to try and watch us you know draw nil nil with Burnley or uh a grind out of a lovely one nil loss and it's I, I don't know yeah my wife thinks I'm mental to even contemplate getting up at silly o'clock but I wouldn't have it any other way because I've tried watching the A-League here that's uh, the Australian uh, soccer as they call it here and I'm yeah it breaks my heart a little bit when I have to see them play um, rather than the Premier League so it's a it is really good being a West Ham fan I know last month sometimes you question it all but yeah I say I started writing for Green Street Hammers I actually when it started uh, so a few years ago uh, a couple of years ago that was it was sort of started out of the fan the fan side of the camp uh, before that I actually wrote for the Arsenal site um, because I was after a job or after a writing experience and they didn't have a West Ham one and they offered me the Spurs one or the Arsenal one and I thought the lesser of two evils was Arsenal. So, um, yeah, I had a time there. And, uh, yeah, I, now I can actually write about something I enjoy, which is actually really lovely uh, because the articles don't feel like I'm having to sort of drag something out of them. Um, I don't feel bad for writing about how, how good Mesut Ozil is or anything like that. You know, I can, I can actually feel happy, but... I mean, it was it was much nicer writing when we were winning and then that final uh, bowling um, era. Now it's uh, I don't seem we don't seem to go a week or so without a bad news story coming out. But yeah, I mean, ups and downs is West Ham, and uh, I don't think there's many West Ham fans that would uh, disagree that you have to have ups and downs if you really want to be this way. Well. It's it's certainly uh, I feel like you have uh, 
a fair overview of, of West Ham since you became a became a fan. Really, like you said, your your dad made you, so it wasn't even up to you at that point. Um, as far as <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, uh, I, again, like you, I wrote a I wrote a piece for for Green Street Hammers about how I started as a West Ham fan, and uh, it, it was basically. Um, a, a quiet night. I had two roommates. One was a beer maker. One was a winemaker at the at the college in Niagara Falls. Uh, I was going to to Brock University at St. Catharines for any Canadian hammers out there that are listening. And uh, I was just coming down to get pizza to go back up to my room and, and have a quiet night. But they decided to open up the the rye and the rum, and that ended up in me being in some some hurting circumstances the next morning. Um, and like I, I had mentioned, uh, there was. It was to the point of almost immobilization. Uh, how bad I felt the next day. Uh, I'd, I'd taken my bedding, and it needed it needed maybe a priest or some holy water, but it, it got the washing machine instead. And uh, I was laying face down on my mattress. My clicker was out of reach, or my my remote was out of reach. And I just had uh, the one of the local uh, sports sports channels on, and it was West Ham versus Swansea. And uh, I. I made a, a bet to myself whoever wins the match that's who my allegiance will be with and it was lucky enough that uh, that West Ham won 3-0 over Swansea Kevin Nolan sorry 2-0 uh, Kevin Nolan had both goals they were actually both off of really nice Andy Carroll uh, Andy Carroll uh, plays he, he jumped up in one headers and played them back into the middle of the box for, for Nolan and then Andy Carroll was eventually sent off for a red card for swinging an elbow into someone's head uh, actually I, I wrote it down here it, that kind of it, as bad as it was um that kind of made it was chico flores i don't know if that name rings any bells for you or not uh, scott but chico flores yes. took a an elbow in the head and actually it started every west Ham fan will tell you that andy carroll gets so many calls against uh so many calls against him and none for him when you have guys jumping on his shoulders and holding him down from trying to win win balls in the air it was the same thing and he just turned around and elbowed elbowed this guy in the mouth and uh Took a straight red for that, but um, I had I had linked to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it, it's kind of a similar situation. That's that's the team that I sort of uh, I didn't pick, but they're the local team. Uh, in, in I live in I lived in Burlington. I live in Toronto now, and basically, if you're not a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, you're you're with the the few, not the many. So I happily support them. It's a little bit of a different system, no relegation, so you can you can uh, tank your team for a better draft pick and, and build yourself that way, which they just did recently, and they have a really, really solid team now, so it's starting to look really, really good for us Toronto Maple Leaf fans, but there's a lot of similarities between the two the two sides. Um, as far as a West Ham fan goes, um, I remember setting up my, I, I would come home to work from school in the summers. And uh, for August, when the games would start, I would set up my work schedule so I wouldn't be working on mornings that had West Ham games on them. And when I was away at school, it was a lot easier to watch. Uh, although TV programming is a little bit spotty here, so there were some uh, questionable streams. I'm sure I killed the laptop or two by going to some of those websites and, and trying to get a link for the West Ham games. It's a lot more reliable now, actually. Um, but uh, yeah, it sort of just developed into a, a, a personal ritual, I guess, uh, every weekend. It's nice because I get up and the earliest game will be 7.30 in the morning. So you get your coffee, you get your breakfast and watch the game. The latest will be a, a 3 p.m. kickoff time, which would be the, the night game. So I, I really do enjoy that timing. And it's usually on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays. And even throughout the week is kind of nice too. 
I tend to catch those. Well, I, I do catch those games, but I, I tend to catch them live more often than not. Uh, but it, it's sort of a, a nice little time slot I didn't have filled sports-wise. Saturday morning. Saturday nights are reserved for hockey. Hockey Night in Canada is a is a phenomenon here in Canada. Uh, and, and Sundays are reserved for NFL football. Um, although when you do have a morning game, it leads perfectly into the 1 p.m. games for the NFL. So it works out well uh, from my standpoint. Um, for going to, to West Ham games, I've only been to one, uh, and call me what you will for that, but it, it cost over $3,000 to get my, my girlfriend to get myself and her over to England for a week, and uh, she's a teacher, so I had to line up with her time off schedule, so um, we went over for the New Year's break. We were supposed to see, uh, we were supposed to see West Ham play West Brom, and then catch West Ham play Tottenham at Wembley. Sky Sports decided to move that game to the day after we got back, and uh, I didn't get to see that match, which featured that Pedro Obiang thunderbolt to the top corner on Hugo Lloris, so that was kind of bitter. Uh, but uh, the sweet part about it was the game I did see, West Ham won 2-1 over West Brom. They went down one nothing early uh, off of a deflection that kind of bounded over Adrian. <clears throat> but uh, Andy Carroll who I, I do mention, I have an eternal soft spot for this guy, as much of a, whatever you want to call him, that he is. Uh, he, he scored the first one off of a Cresswell header, who I'm, I'm convinced now after seeing his form this year that Cresswell's entire career has been based off of Andy Carroll getting on the end of these loopy crosses that he sends into the box. But uh, he did also score, I believe it was, there was five minutes of stoppage time and Andy Carroll scored at 94 minutes and 52 seconds. Uh, it yeah. was unbelievable. Yeah. A, a cross from, uh, or a, a pass rather, across the front of the net to from Arnautovic past Chicharito to Andy Carroll on the back post. Um, the noise I felt in the London Stadium, not ever having been to Upton Park, I, I watched a ton of games on TV, but never having been there, it was insane because Lanzini picked up the ball in midfield and started running, and the entire place stood up and started yelling. And I've never. I've been to tons of sporting events here. I've never, ever felt something. I get, like, chills just thinking about it now with that many people yelling. And it, you felt like West Brom couldn't do anything. They could have sat everyone on the goal line. The goal was going to go win. That's just how it felt. Um, it was awesome. And, and like I said, uh, now I'm now I'm here at Green Street Hammers writing posts defending Andy Carroll when he comes back from injury and saying there may be a spot for him. But uh, you have to have patience with me. It's, it's just because he made my, my New Year's vacation a little bit more special. Um, but other than that, Green Street Hammers, I, I've always had an affinity for writing, but um, I, I wrote for Knees Up Mother Brown on their fan their fan forums for a while. Uh, I wrote for another smaller website based out of Boston. And then I started my own blog, uh, but most of the people who would read that were from the Toronto area, so there wasn't a huge Premier League fandom uh, that was going through that. But fan sided sort of fell into my lap here with Green Street Hammers, and it's been... Um, a busy month, a uh, month and a bit for me here, but I'm having a lot of fun with it, and uh, I can't see any reason why it would end anytime soon, and I'm happy to be, like you said, on a podcast talking to someone who cares about West Ham rather than annoying my significant other or family members, uh, or sometimes I'll just talk to the dog about uh, about whatever's going on, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a shorter history and a chosen team rather than an inherited one, but uh I think the fandom's still a little bit uh, is still honest there. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I mean, there are some people who uh, seem to claim that you can't be a fan unless you go home and away. But uh, 
I think that as long as your heart's in it and you uh, you get behind the team when it's uh, when you can, I think that makes you a fan. Um, I mean, I, I compare it to I, my team here in Australia is Melbourne City, and I wouldn't say I'm a fan. I'm a supporter. Like I I follow them and I'll go to some matches, but yeah, if it's not going well, I, I'm not going to be too worried. If I, I I don't feel the same way. I mean, annoyingly, I, I'm I've seen them win a trophy and I've never seen West Ham win one. <laughs> and it's uh, yeah, it, I think if as long as you're, you're behind the team and I say, I think you you can be classed as a proper fan. Uh, so yeah, I mean here you are writing about it week in week out. It's not a it's not a particularly happy topic to be. Uh, <laughs> discussing all the time if you're not hearts not in it no but no shortage of things to talk about which is kind of nice um yeah. yeah so so uh as far as we are here uh it's been a slow month we, we not a slow month it's actually been a pretty intense month uh, not not slow that was the wrong word choice but uh there's been a lot to talk about uh, a yeah. little bit poor um actually a lot poor a little bit of it is promising there's been some ups uh, rather than uh it all being negative um but we'll kind of just right now discuss uh, the month that was uh, for the first four matches. And I'm going to include that first September match into, into this first month, um, just basically for for clarity's sake. Uh, but for for West Ham, they had probably, they would say, I would say probably the hardest matchup to to start the Premier League season. I mean, it, it's six and one half dozen with, with Man City away or Liverpool away. Uh, but of course... It's never Brighton at home for West Ham to start the season, so... No, I mean, um, here we were. We spent, like, 100 million over the summer. We were playing, I think, six new players, most of them in a defensive position, Um, and we were facing one of the best front threes probably in European football. I mean, if not one of the best, certainly one of the fastest. Um, We were playing this new Pellegrini high line. Uh, The defence didn't know how to sort of interact with the midfield, and the midfield sort of all looked a bit lost with Rice playing in a defensive midfield position for us, like probably for the first time. And Wilshire and Noble pretty much playing the same position, standing on each other's toes. <laughs> um, yeah, it kind of... Like, it wasn't completely dispiriting because it was Liverpool and I was quite happy to sort of just go, oh, Liverpool was, you know, 90 minutes of trying to get them all to play together. Um, yeah, I mean... It didn't really get too much better. I mean, the first 45 minutes of Bournemouth were better, but I remember uh, listening to the West Ham Way podcast in between the Liverpool and Bournemouth matches, and one of them said, oh, this is a must-win game. Uh, we need to get some points on the board, otherwise it really starts to get tricky. Like, you start getting in your head. And now I start wondering if that's a re- like, if that's going to be an issue um, because we had that game really for us to win. Uh, we are 1-0 up. Bournemouth weren't playing great. All we needed to do was play sensible football, and then Callum Wilson waltzes through half of our team. Yeah, embarrassing. Um, yeah, I, I, I watch that clip every now and again. I mean, I I play I play central midfield for my Sunday league side, and I would have been absolutely slammed if I'd put in the effort that Noble did in that game. And uh, none of the centre backs put in a solid challenge. Uh, and then it, then then three minutes later they go ahead, and we never looked like getting the game back and it's it's tough but I think people were talking about the last time we lost four in a row or lost four in a row at the start of the season anyway uh, I think that was under Avram Grant and yeah we've got a much better squad this time but we really have to start 
clicking. Yeah, um, and so- I think you brought up a good point against Bournemouth that the, the first half was good, and maybe it wasn't the exciting brand of football that we've been expecting with, with the new recruits coming in, um, but it was positive, and especially after that that Liverpool loss, you needed something, uh, and, and West Ham did get... Uh, they did get that penalty off of Chicharito. He put in a beautiful performance to make that uh, toe tap look like he got his leg taken off. But uh, uh, Arnautovic, I actually, I like the, uh, that's something that wasn't really talked about because the, the game blew up. But Arnautovic taking the penalty, um, he, mm. he he did not kind of this really cool no look. He just kept his eyes on the ground and didn't look where he was shooting and hammered it into the bottom corner. Um, but... Arnautovic taking penalties is cool because you get to see, you know, maybe five more goals a season for him. Um, but with Noble, and it also gives you an option with Noble not being on the pitch, but that was sort of Mr. West Ham's thing. He, he had only missed one, I think, and he's been so steady with them. And it was really one of his only ways to get on the score sheet, um, especially with him yeah. not having the motor he used to. But it, without without Noble being there... Um, are you okay with with seeing Arnautovic step up and take those penalties now? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, when I first saw it, like when the penalty was given, you know, I, I in my head, Noble had already scored it, um, and like, and then uh, see so Arnautovic pick up the ball and go to take the penalty. I'm thinking, oh, that's a bit strange. Noble's on the pitch, and then I start think that maybe Pellegrini has come in. It, it's probably the clearest sign yet that. Um, Pellegrini has said something to Noble about him not playing all the games or him not being necessary a first team starter because one of the things that I've always said um, at pretty much any level is that you want your like certain things you want to be set like you want your set piece takers to be the same uh, and that means that even if one of your better set piece takers is a sub for most of the games you they uh, your first choice should be a regular starter and on Altovich, like if he gets goals, he the fact that like, you, know, you can look at Moyes and say he did this for West Ham, he didn't do that. The best thing he did, in my opinion, was put on uh, Altovich up front because it's changed him as a player. He seems I like, fully like switched on in terms of goal searching, and uh, it showed with that penalty. He doesn't look like when well, if you give him a good chance, it doesn't look like he's going to miss. So I'm very happy with him taking it. And I think that was a real clear intention from Pellegrini to sort of show, okay, we're going to change the order a little bit. Um, but as you say, will Noble be happy? No, I mean, no one likes losing that kind of responsibility, but it's up to him to prove to Pellegrini that he deserves a space in the team. And, I mean, we haven't performed better with or without him this season. Um, so it's up to him to show that we are better with him in. I, I agree with that too, and like you said, the the stability of having your same set piece takers, your same uh, penalty ki- penalty taker, all being starters helps. And we've seen that with uh, Snodgrass and Wilshire from corner kicks; uh, they seem to alternate on sides. Mm. Um, I think that there is a huge overratedness for Cresswell to take corners or for Cresswell to take um, free kicks. I would rather Snodgrass have every chance to take those over Cresswell. And actually, after the performance he put in over Wolves, uh, at Wolves, or with Wolves visiting us, rather. Um, I, I don't want to see Cresswell anytime soon outside of playing Macclesfield Town uh, in, in a couple weeks. Um, I, I think that it'd be a good time to rest Mazuaku, but going forward, um, 
Crespo hasn't yeah. hasn't done anything to to take the reins. And and on that on that topic, the same goes for Pedro Obiang. I think there's going to be a massive chance for him to to step in with Wilshire having an injury, but. Um, he he had an opportunity against against a team like AFC Wimbledon, especially down to ten men. And he came off at halftime because all he did was get a card early in that match, give mm-hmm. up the free kick that eventually turned into uh, a corner kick, which eventually turned into a goal a minute in. And he 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 must feel wanted because he was declined his move back to Italy, but yeah, he yeah. for for whatever reason he. He can't seem to do anything with it. He's a terrific tackler. Um, he's got a really good success rate. Two seasons ago, he was awesome. But um, a- along with Cresswell, that form's dropped. And, and I mean, you can maybe lump in Noble with that, but I, I think that's a little bit too harsh. And, and also, there's a lot more responsibility that comes with Noble being on West Ham than Pedro Obiang or Aaron Cresswell. I think right now what Cresswell's main role in the squad is is to keep that uh, homegrown talent level uh, of having English or British players in your team at a certain level. That's all he offers uh, to Pellegrini and West Ham right now, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I um, Cresswell for me, like when we signed him from Ipswich, um, we, I was a bit reluctant because, I mean, whenever you bring a uh, fullback up or any player up from the championship and then throw him straight into the Premier League, it's all was tough but he jumped straight up he looked ready to take on all the challenges he was willing to get forward and back at all points you put in all the challenges you needed him to and then he picked up a preseason injury a couple of years ago and he never never really recovered and I, not physically I, physically he's just as he's just as able but in his head he never looks quite committed to some of the challenges you need him to make as a fullback I think that's the right um, word to committed yeah, I, like again, technically, like when the ball is at his feet, there's probably no real difference. But it's just that mental side of things, and I don't think he's really ready to commit to some of the stuff that he needs to. I mean, yeah, you look at the Wolves, at the end of the Wolves game, and I know it's right at the end of the game. I know he's tired, but he's a professional athlete, and uh, Traore, who again, come on, uh, so he's fresher, he's got a motor on him too. I understand, but you have to be aware of that. I mean, it, if you know nothing else about Adama Traore, you know he's quick. You should and be giving Chris him a yard Pearl or two, has, if anything. Well, you should be. And you should be aware of the fact that he's just going to set off. And it doesn't matter. if Even if he makes a really, really weird run, like I'm talking about, if he makes a run that makes no sense in your head, you've got to stay goal side of him. And then when he realizes he can't, he's trying a little lame kick at him. Now... I'm not one for cheating in football, and I think this would be a professional foul. But I think if you're going to do something, do it. Like, hold on to his shirt. Hold on to it. Don't do something half-baked. Like, don't not commit to it. And I think that's his issue. Even um, at that point, if he took a straight red card for taking out his legs or something, it, it's yeah. the right move because there's there's literally 45 seconds left in this in this match. Yeah. I agree. I think, and the thing is that he takes him down. Yeah, Wolves get a, pe- a free kick with like t- twenty seconds left. Blah blah blah. Um, if we come away nil nil, no worries. I mean, yeah, Agbona wasn't on the pitch, so there's the chances are we're going to stop the free kick from going uh, from going anywhere close to Fabianski. And um, yeah, maybe it's a good pivot point to to West Ham's best player of the year. But Fabianski has been absolutely unbelievable. And that's yeah. pretty shocking to say the least because he has allowed, I think, the most goals in the Premier League. He certainly has the most shots against um, yeah, he, wow. and that's... most saves too. But he, he's looked he's looked wonderful in that. 
Yeah, I mean, he must be sort of wondering what he's done wrong. Yeah, because, I mean, against uh, when he was playing for Swansea, um, he looked really good there. He, he's a great shot stopper. He takes control of his box. Um, but, I mean, yeah, he's not... Like, you look at some of these uh, keepers from around the world making some top saves. I mean, De Gea pulls off some ca- spectacular camera saves. You've got Lloris and... Um, Oh, the, uh, the, the old Chelsea one, I can't remember the one. The one's gone to... Courtois. Uh, Courtois, yeah, that's it. And um, these people make some great saves every week and they, they take the cameras. Fabianski's style is a little more conservative. But he's still he's very efficient. He's very good at what he does. And, I mean, if it hadn't been for him against Liverpool, it could have been like 8 or 9 nil. And, yeah, I think he's made the most saves in the Premier League so far. I think like 21 saves or something crazy. And the defence really is not helping anyone. Um, I mean, if, you're, if your keeper is your best player and your bottom of the league with no points, you've got to be really worrying about what's going on. And that is the, for the defence to sort out. Fabianski is an absolute steal. I think it was six million we paid for him. So, yeah. I mean, so far looking like the bargain of the season, signing of the season, hammer of the year and all those awards at the moment. But hopefully... You know, it's not going to be a case of Fabianski continued to play well, but we conceded three goals. Hopefully, he has a clean sheet soon to show for it. I agree, and I think. Let me know if I'm if I'm too far off the rails here. Um, as far as as Premier League goalkeepers go, and this is this is a transfer trail uh, that doesn't exist. I'm just trying to to make it up in my head here. But I, I was really high on West Ham going for Jack Butlin this off season, mm-hmm. um, but I think. The architect or the engineer, that's his nickname, the engineer Pellegrini, may have um, a greater plan in his head uh, that involves someone like Jack Butlin. And you see, uh, I think Chelsea's move for uh, for their keeper from uh, Athletic Bilbao was a forced move. They needed to get someone in that was exciting and, and young, and, and they moved for that keeper when Courtois wanted to go to Real Madrid. But you see, Liverpool was always the team who was a goalkeeper away from being truly excellent, and they spend a ton of money on Allison, and he comes in and he's he's looked good. He's made that one blunder, but of course everything's blown up in the in, in the press because he's Liverpool's keeper. Uh, yep. But he he's he's light years ahead of uh, ahead of Simo Mignolet as far as I'm concerned. He's going to be a great goalkeeper, but the biggest the biggest prize off of the relegated teams from last season was Jack Butlin uh, from Stoke City. And I, I haven't looked at the at the championship table, but I don't know if Stoke's threatening to, to for promotion again next season. If they are, that may change things. But Pellegrini had to build a squad, and he he certainly believed that getting attackers into the team and central defenders into the team was the biggest priority. And he he went to the bargain bin to find Fabianski. Adrian's contract's yeah, running yeah. out at the end of the season. Fabianski's got a couple more years, and he's 30, 30 or 31 right now, 32 maybe. Uh, is there a possibility that, that West Ham move for uh, a signing of someone like Jack Butlin next season to, to come in, or someone even younger than that, uh, and challenge for that position, and, and maybe you know concede a year to Fabianski or to give a, a, good, a good battle in net? But basically, you have Fabianski as this one- to two-year buffer, on your team that Pellegrini did admit would be a process, but you eventually get someone like Jack Butlin of that quality to come into the team. Is that too far fetched? Well, I think that's uh, I think that's fairly reasonable, really. I mean, um, Fabian, 
Sorry, I think Fabianski is a top keeper, but as you say, he's not going to be around for the next five, six years. So he's not a long-term vision. Or he might be. I mean, as you say, he's sort of uh, early, mid-30s. He's not. But he's not someone that you can build your team around for the next 10 years. Uh, And that's what you like these top teams are looking for. I mean, when Man United signed De Gea, he was lacking a little bit in the physicality. Um, He was bullied uh, by a few players. Uh, I mean, I remember when uh, Alex Ferguson wonderfully um, understatedly said that Andy Carroll could have killed him once uh, (laughs) by charging in and uh, going for a header. Um, But yeah, I mean, Jack Bolland, uh, for me, it was a surprise that he didn't go. Um, I mean, Stoke aren't doing too well in the championship. I mean, they think they're... I think they might be like 18th or 19th. Uh, they're really struggling. Um, so at the moment, it doesn't look like they're coming back up. So he could be a next year signing for someone. Whether that's the right time for us to go for a keeper like that, uh, who knows? But he would probably be cheaper than the prices that they were throwing around this year, given the fact that he's spent a year in the championship and it's no longer this sort of hot property uh, ticket. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's a good point there. Uh, what I will say and correct you on is just because you're at the bottom of the table right now doesn't mean that you can't be challenging for the top of the table at the end of the season. Yes, come on, Scott. Come on. We have to be positive here. Yes, obviously. I mean, obviously not, but I mean, I think there's been some real issues with uh, Stoke City players. Um, some of them uh, have been real issues with some of the results they've had, but uh, obviously um, I don't wish ill on any team, uh, but it would be nice to try and get someone like Jack Butland from the championship. He's a premiership quality keeper. Um, but we've also got, I mean, I don't know too much about him, but the younger keeper, I think Nathan it's uh, Trott. Nathan Trop. Yeah, he plays for England youth teams, but he it's always tough with youth keepers because there's just a... There's this whole sort of, as you said, as I said earlier, with the hair, like this physicality that needs to come around from being a Premier League keeper. Is someone ready to make the step up? I mean, we've we've had loads of players come through in the last 10, 15 years that have looked very good, that have played for England uh, at the youth levels, and then they've just disappeared. They've just sort of fallen off the radar because they just haven't had that extra little bit. So until um, Nathan Trot actually starts playing in at levels of at professional levels not just youth levels um it's hard to say whether he'll make the step up so maybe maybe Pellegrini is going to be looking at something like Butlin either next year or the year after uh who knows who knows who else could have him I mean as you say Liverpool have got a strong keeper now um Chelsea have signed one for the future and as long as he doesn't mess up he should be there for a couple of like a few years before they start thinking oh no we need to get someone else uh, I don't know how old Larice is, but he's still a quality keeper. Arsenal have signed um, Leno um, for backup to check. I mean, I'd be surprised if they don't start playing him as the first choice keeper soon. City have Edison. Um, yeah, you're looking at a lot of teams above us have uh, solid keepers for the next, like for the foreseeable future. Even Everton with Pickford too. Yes, precisely. So, I mean, you've got those kind of teams that really have something established with us, with Adrian and um, Fabianski, we don't. So, yeah, we may be sort of potentially bring Butland in next year or the year after would be a, a solid move. But, I mean, 
So that's that happen. We have to make sure we're in the Premiership or Premier League next year. That's true. You know, he wouldn't. He wouldn't probably go for a lateral move like a Championship team to a Championship team. But uh, no. just looking it up here, Nathan Trott is only 19 years old. So um, I would be surprised if West Ham didn't loan him out. Uh, maybe even January of this year or into next season. Uh, the Championship's usually a good spot for young goalkeepers or past their prime goalkeepers. So um, if he can get behind someone with a little more. Um, with a little more experience and get into some, some yeah. matches for a championship side, even a League One side, um, just to get the a little bit more intensity in gameplay rather than Premier League Two action. Um, I yeah, think that, I that would be probably solid for his development. And uh, I know goalies in hockey-wise take time to develop. I'm not sure if the same is true for for keepers when it comes to to football. But uh, he he, for all intents and purposes, he's appeared for England's under 20s four times uh, beginning last season. Uh, August thirty first, twenty seven, twenty seventeen. So um, he's certainly on the on the right side of things, being in contention for those jobs. Um, yeah, I think that's promising. But you, you never know what what they have planned. I, I didn't see Anderson being a target the year before that. I didn't see Arnautovic being a target. Um, I didn't see a lot of things that happened sort of happening. And uh, I think moving forward, I, I'm going to sort of try to put the crystal ball away and, and let the professionals do that but uh it's fun to to hypothesize on um definitely what we can put the crystal ball out for is sort of our predictions moving forward for the next month of play here um if we look ahead uh september has and this match may have already happened we want to put our hands up here and say we don't know when this will be posted but everton uh is hosting west ham then west ham hosts chelsea we play macclesfield town uh, in the uh, in the Carabao Cup, then we have Manchester United on September 29th. Um, it's a tough month. Macclesfield Town, you know, again, the F, the uh, Carabao Cup could be the only time West Ham get a win in this month. But um, it, it's time for them to start showing that they can hang with these teams. Um, the month after that, in October and into November, things get a little bit easier, even in December, with mid and lower yeah. table teams. But how do we think they're going to do for September? If we're looking at a potential of nine points for the remaining games, how many do you think uh, West Ham will pick up? Oh, um, yeah, I mean, when I I joked uh, with a friend the other day that uh, we would pick up the next nine because that would be truly the West Ham way <laughs> of uh, losing, losing when everything looked good and then somehow just grinding something out. Uh, but uh, I mean, Everton is it's always a tough match. I mean, I think we've only won once there in the last 10, 10 or so years, and that was when Dimitri Payet inspired us to a three-two win over them uh, when they had a man sent off. So I mean, it, uh, there's there's not great history there. Um, so, uh, but they do have a lot of injuries. I mean, that's what they, your article put out there. I think they've got like eleven injuries or something to their like first team. All first team injuries. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, uh, I mean, oh, and obviously uh, Richarlison suspended, which is good news for us. But because he's kept his form with Brazil, I think he had two goals and an yeah. assist in their match. Yeah, he's looked. He, I mean, uh, I was one of the people that said like, oh, fifty million is a huge, like, uh, like forty million up front with their add-ons and all this kind of thing. It's a huge price for him, but he looks, he looks very good, um, and he's played very well. Um, so for him not to be playing against us is great. I'd like to think we could get something against Everton. I mean, as you said, we don't know when this podcast is going out. Um, so if you're listening to this and we've just got smashed 4-0, uh, disregard that. Um, but but you have Scott yeah. to thank if we do get a result out of Everton too. 
<laughs> yeah, and then we got Chelsea and Man United. I mean, both at home, and I'd really love to see London Stadium really get behind the team because they're the matches that we can really, really kick it up a notch, really use that, those extra people in the stadium to create a good atmosphere. And Chelsea, you've got a relatively new style. I mean, they've they've won most. I think they've they won all of their matches so far, or they've they've at least come close to it. And um, yeah, Chelsea uh, are four for four, twelve points, ten goals yeah. for, three against. Yeah, so I mean, they are looking good. I mean, but then they did. I, I mean, they they could have easily lost to Arsenal when like, I think Aubameyang missed about five. He had a couple of sitters, really absolutely, just in front of the net. Yeah, absolutely gutting for my fantasy team. However, um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, they look they they there are some there is potential there for us to get something, um, especially at home. I mean, Chelsea, I'm less confident of than Man United. I mean, who knows what Mourinho is going to do? Is he going to play Fellaini up front? Is he going to play like? Is he going to drop Luke Shaw for that match? Who knows? It's it's all going to be, uh, it's all based on that and that kind of thing. It could be could be any team we face uh so i'd like to think we can pick up potentially four points before this uh, month's out but then i could if you turned around and said we don't pick up any points yeah it's i think that's quite quite likely as well yeah my, um, my, predi- think- my prediction was gonna be four points as well uh i don't want to say who they're coming against at the beginning of the season i didn't think chelsea would be as good as they are but uh, Jorginho and kovacic in the midfield um, they look to be a pretty solid duo to, to mix in with Conte as well. Um, there's been a lot yeah, of unrest with Man United, so maybe it's them that, that West Ham picks up a win against, but uh, hopefully hopefully a point uh, in this Everton match at, at the very least. I'd, I'd like to think so. I mean, I'd hate to get to the end of September on zero points, but I think the key is like we don't panic. Uh, we do have a better squad. I, I think we've got a big issue in the centre midfield where we don't have a powerful sort of a holding player, someone who can really take charge of the match and act, actually sort of anchor us. Um, I think Wilshere would be good alongside someone like that. But I don't think when you look at it, when you've got someone like, uh, I think Sanchez is probably our best option in that role but he's still not the kind of player I'd want to be relying on against these big games to really sort of physically dominate that kind of area I totally agree with you there yeah like I feel like there's there's a bit of a disjointedness maybe Declan Rice can can get on a roll here if he if he does see a start soon um, but yeah Carlos Sanchez I don't think he's got a full 90 minutes in him and when West Ham does have injuries like they like they did have against uh Against uh, Wolves with uh, Arnautovic pulling up. Sorry, Arsenal was it maybe the more the more poignant example there. Yeah. Um, you, you sort of have your hand forced when it comes to wanting to get someone like Yarmolenko on, wanting to get uh, a new defender a new defender on to sort of help with that. But also now you have to replace someone else due to injury. Um, you, you can't really rely on substitutions when you have a team that seems to be as fragile as West Ham does. But um, as far as the first month goes, it's been disappointing, but there have been bright bright spots. West Ham deserved a win over Arsenal. They didn't deserve to lose over Wolves. Uh, so, I mean, technically there, there should be some points here, but uh, moral victories are, are, are no longer going to cash in for keeping yeah. West Ham up. So I think it's time that uh, they put in a shift here, grind out a tough September. If anything, just make it hard on your opposition. West Ham way, people have always said, you know, West Ham fans will, will be happy as long as you 
play for the the crest on your shirt, not the name on the back, and, and sort of give that hard-nosed, blue-collar effort that, that there's always sort of been in the club. Um, we do have some some luxury players now, uh, and it's about time that they start turning up, earn, earning those weekly wages and, and justifying the price tags on their head. But uh, it, it should be an interesting yeah. month. Hopefully we can get started on the right foot. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think the biggest thing is the effort. Uh, some, uh, I mean, another stat that's been banded around, you can't really always rely on stats, but uh, I think we've talking about there's only two teams in the Premier League that have covered less distance than us. And, and that was um, supposed and to be a, an issue that was turned around that, under Moyes. Yes, I mean, that's the thing is, it, I mean, I'm not a huge believer that stats always, uh, despite the fact I have maths degrees, um, <laughs> I don't always believe that stats um, are sort of king. And my issue is that if you're losing and your effort and you're not covering distance, you should be covering more. If we were winning, covering the same distance, uh, no one would be mentioning this. Like we, c- it would be a sign of our efficiency if we were if we had four wins out of four and we had covered the third less uh, third least uh, amount of distance. People would be going, oh, look at look at the way we play. It's so comfortable. It's so confident. But when you're losing, you have to put in that extra yard. You have to make sure you're staying with your man. You have to be ahead of them. You have to put in that extra sprint. And that's what we're not seeing at the moment. And that's what the fans are going to get annoyed about. So when you're not winning, when you're like, that's the primary thing. If you're winning, right, people are going to be, okay, that's fun. But then you have to put in that effort if you're not. If things aren't going well, a little bit of hard work should hopefully just change things a little bit. But we're not doing that. I totally agree. And, and I think that's that's where it starts for the next month to play here. Uh, this seems like a good a good spot to jump off for us here. So uh, if you were listening, thank you. Uh, Scott and I appreciate it. Everyone at the Green Street Hammers does appreciate it. We're going to be looking to do these hopefully on a weekly or bi-weekly basis here. So um, do stay tuned to that. Uh, add us up on, on wherever you listen to podcasts, and we will bring back more West Ham talk uh, in the near future. Scott, thanks for doing this with me, and uh, we'll talk to you next uh, week. Uh, thank you very much, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.